Hello, my name is Cameron Ryan, and welcome to my Ivy Literature I.O. Today I will be looking at excerpts from The Crucible by Arthur Miller and Chronicle of the Death Foretold by Gabriel Marquez. I will be focusing on the global issue of beliefs, values, and education, and looking specifically at how the text illustrates the struggles of challenging an established social value with your own firm values. Uh, so, first, let's look at The Crucible by Arthur Miller. To provide context, this is set during the Salem Witch Trials, a period where mass hysteria had come over the entire population and there is an established court that was used to purge out the devil's influence in society uh so at this point in the book or, or the play rather uh, mary has given her deposition to the court and the girls have been brought in and are currently mocking her in hopes to make it seem like she's having influence over them as a witch would looking straight on proctor and mary are going against the court's values of the black and white values of you're either for the court or you are against it and thereby working with the devil. So there was very little room for gray area or negotiation with this court, but Proctor and Mary Warren are still trying. Um, so this passage starts off with a stage direction that establishes like the emotional distraughtness of Mary. Uh, it describes her as being utterly confounded and becoming overwhelmed by Abigail and the girls and their utter conviction towards her. So this is already like in a very emotionally distraught place for Mary. And she's already going to be very conflicted and hard to sort of reason with uh, in this section. Right here in the next line, we are able to see how the black and white of the court is coming in through Danforth's line. He says, a little while ago you were afflicted. Now it seems you afflict others. Where did you find this power? Notice how in this line, he just assumes that uh, Mary has some powers of some kind. The Where did you find this power? There's no questioning of like, are these girls truly lying? Or is Mary in some way being truthful? It's just immediately assuming that Mary is a witch. And we'll see this throughout. So Mary, again, reiterates, I have no power. The girls mock her, of course. Then Proctor sort of starts to defend Mary as well, saying, they're guiling you, mister. And Danforth immediately ignores this and just goes back to Mary. Uh, he says, why did you turn about this past two weeks? You have seen the devil, have you not? This ignoring a proctor's statement shows that danforth is not being open-minded to this idea again proctor through his stage direction of seeing her weakening shows mary's lack of resilience and how she is succumbing to the standard value of following the court and what they say is verbatim rather than fighting for her own belief and so he uh, reiterates to mary the values that they're fighting for he says mary mary god damns all liars and then in a later line we'll see another line that reaffirms these christian precedents and values that they hold uh, when he says mary remember the angel raphael do that which is good so these lines are establishing the values that they are using to fight against the court and what the court had previously set as their values until this hysteria came about then there's a lot of other sections where Danforth gives ultimatums towards Mary. This one line here says, I cannot hear you. What do you say? He says, you will confess yourself or you will hang. That ultimatum of black or white thought process. There's no gray area to argue. It shows that he has in no way believing her or even opening himself to the possibility of her being truthful in any of this. Then it goes to Abigail talking about how she's 
seeing a figure of Mary Warren uh, on the rafters of the building and how she's freaking out about it. And so it's in the stage direction. It says that they all sort of dash across the stage and they're being pursued as if they're being pursued. And so they're all screaming hysterically and then all of their screams subside until only Mary Warren's is left. So that description implies that Mary Warren was screaming this entire time and is the last one to be screaming. This again illustrates the emotional distraughtness of Mary and how she is overwhelmed and at a breaking point right now, which we see. And this is again shown by the fact that she suddenly switches from being confronting about this belief to in her next line where she backs away from John Proctor and says, don't touch me, don't touch me. Her switch and attitude and how she sort of just lost all hope in fighting this and has decided to conform with society rather than fight against it while Proctor still is. Then there's uh, again, a sequence where Mary gives a line and says, you are the devil's man and Paris says, praise God. This really just shows uh, how Paris too was unwilling to change his thought process about the potential of them lying. And so Mary uh, Proctor then says, Mary, how, um, like showing how he is still resisting the authority and still trying to establish his value. And uh, Mary then sort of reveals her motive for why she's turning against them. She says, I will not hang with you. I love God. I love God. The I will not hang with you being her motive for why she suddenly switched and is conforming with this society. So that is how this is all portrayed. Proctor is still being resilient and still trying, even though now Mary Warren has conformed with society rather than uh, sticking with her disposition and then ends up even lying about how Proctor supposedly uh, had her forced to write this deposition and or else she would die. This all shows the struggles that these people in that time period at least faced uh, when trying to argue their own firm values against a social value that was established. Now looking over at Chronicle of a Death Foretold, um, this book is set in a society where there's machismo culture, which is where men sort of hold more power than women and there's different cultural expectations for both groups so in machismo culture men can do more without any trouble while women are forced to remain like chaste and pure as we see in this story so this story the overarching story is that angela vaticario was not a virgin when she was married and says that she lost her virginity to santiago nassar and so a, an established social value was the idea of honor killing, which is where Pedro and Pablo, they went to kill Santiago Nassar in order to avenge the honor that uh, Angela had lost when she didn't have her virginity on her wedding night. And so we see throughout the book that it almost seems like Pedro and Pablo were trying to get caught and not have to go through with this. And the passage I have chosen uh, shows this directly, basically a lot through their diction. Uh, so starting off, Pedro Vicario, according to his own declaration, was the one who made the decision to kill Santiago Nassar. And at first his brother only followed along. This shows a sort of reluctance from Pablo and how they like were, he was almost dragged into it at first. Then there's a lot of diction describing the killing as, quote, their duty, saying that it hadn't been easy for him to convince his brother to do it. 
implying that it was sort of like forced upon them. It talks about how one of the brothers had agonized drop by drop trying to urinate, showing the trauma that was associated with this event for the boys and, and the fact that it hindered their own bodily functions due to how nervous or apprehensive they were about this event. But the fact that they agonized alone shows that they're remorseful or reluctant again to do this. Then there's a longer quote. It says, he tried to tell me to go on by myself because he was in no condition to kill anybody. Again, a reluctance to do that. Then there's arguments of them wasting time, saying how they had spent half an hour or in reality about 10 minutes trying to put gauze on, I don't know how to say this uh, in a PG manner, but around his prick, as they put it. Uh, so they show how they're often wasting time in order to prevent the inevitable in a way. Then there's more, there's this part that talks about the cultural expectation that this killing brings about. It says they dragged him off almost by force in search of his sister's lost honor. That's how the cultural expectation part of it, how there was a search for their lost honor rather than like to kill Santiago. That phrasing indicates that this is a duty and more about reclaiming the honor than it is about killing Santiago. Then the author sort of switches it up a bit and talks about this in a more metaphorical way by mentioning an ironic statement, talking about the setting and how it wasn't raining and how there was a sea wind and you could still count the stars on your fingers. This description is ironic given the context of what is happening. So these two brothers are preparing to kill people and characteristically there would be like gloomy weather with rain but right now they're mentioning how it wasn't raining it was very starry and clear and almost beautiful and scenic which is juxtaposed against the action and i think it goes to show how this action could have been prevented by how much it was shared openly and how much the brothers were trying to prevent it through spreading news and and this is even shown in the next line when it says the news had been so well spread by then that Hortensia Botte opened her door precisely as they were passing her house. And she was the first to weep for Santiago Nassar. So this news was already out there and was spreading vastly. And it was there. It was the brother's passive way of trying to not do this event and preventing the inevitable by sharing the news so much that people couldn't avoid telling Santiago or stopping them in some way. That is how they went about conflicting the social values of honor killings by passively causing it so that they would get caught beforehand. Then the author continues on with more diction and more events in the story that sort of break up the timeline and show how they're trying to delay the inevitable. It talks about how they went into Pablo's fiance's house and how they went in for coffee and waited for the coffee to be done even though it wasn't ready yet and how they still stayed and drank coffee and it seemed like they were almost waiting on purpose then the author ends this statement with like the cultural expectation from a statement from this fiance and she says i didn't only agree i never would have married him if he hadn't done what a man should do this implying as an ultimatum as to how severe the consequences would be if you didn't follow through with this in society. This shows the standard value that the culture has placed on honor killings and how much of a necessity it seems to be.
through these texts, we are able to see how these people can challenge the standard societal beliefs in order to express their own firm beliefs and how they feel about the beliefs of the society they currently live in.